that. Again, Valentine's Day is Wednesday. I've said it twice now, uh, so so you can't um, you can't blame me. We're going in our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number two. Uh, Annie and I, we were uh, kids were in bed and. Uh, we're laying there uh, in bed just uh, a few days ago, and, and I told my wife, I said, hey, uh, I got your oil changed in your car today, which she knew because she had been telling me for weeks that it needed to be done. And so I wasn't getting any brownie points for that. But then I, I said, also, I took your car through the car wash. I cleaned it out. You know, the kids, they ride in that car, so it can, sometimes it's a science experiment in there. And uh, I said, I washed it, I had it cleaned out, and I filled your car up with gas. I said, in other words, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, she's like, I deserve so much better than this. But uh, there was this article in the New York Times as you make your way to Matthew chapter 2 yesterday that evoked nostalgia in my mind. It pointed to the democratic way in which uh, Valentine's cards are distributed in elementary school. Anybody remember putting those uh, things there? And, you know, everybody got a got a valentine from everybody that was the thing right but but this article talked about how how somehow despite the fact that everyone got the card it still made you feel special like i'd open up i'm like now listen i know that Kristen had to give a card to everybody but i think she really wanted to give a card to me there's something about it we love love don't we actually i was reading think about music for a moment an article that i read just this morning said that most of the songs that exist are about love in some way actually uh, the psychology of music a study on that determined that 67 percent of lyrics since the 1960s were somehow about love and so i draw your attention today to matthew 2 to a, a passage of scripture that we don't usually consider or talk about or associate with love, but as I read it last week, one of those 67% of songs about love came to my mind, and I'm going to borrow its title for my own today. It says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where this Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, uh, who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Now, I read a reference to this story. You're like, Pastor, this is not Christmas. What's going on? This story that I will wait to return to to the end of my message that's normally reserved for Christmas plays and nativities. And, and I couldn't help but to think of an old love song by Johnny Lee. I don't know if, if you've heard of who he is. I didn't know he was the one who wrote it. I just, the song, the lyrics came to my mind. And, and I will preach that title to you today. Johnny Lee, he sang this song. He called it this, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. This is either going to go really well or really badly today. Let's buckle up and see which it is. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your presence that we feel here in this place. I pray you would speak to us. Let your word challenge us and change us and shape us into what you want us to be. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, there is there's something in each of us. It's a longing for love. Remy, uh, my three-year-old daughter, uh, for some torturous reason, she's already talking about getting married. <laughs> Actually, she'll she will uh she says this when, when when she's trying to get under my skin, when she's trying to tease me, she'll say, Daddy, I'm going to get married. And I'll say, Remy, Daddy's going to prison. <laughs> and uh, there's just something in us, though. We are oriented to love. The truth is we have been created by God in His image with this capacity to love and, and with a desire for love, the truth is we are all looking for love. One of the central characters in Genesis is a man by the name of Jacob. His story, his life unfolds through what is 25 chapters of Genesis, eclipsing even Abraham, the great patriarch, Father Abraham, whose life is covered in just 15 chapters. And it's Jacob whose name will later be changed to Israel and who Jacob, Israel, will become the namesake for God's people in the Old Testament. It's from his family, Jacob's family, that the Messiah, Jesus, will come. But it's his love story that, that I really want to draw your attention to today. It's found in Genesis chapter number 29. Buckle up because it's quite interesting. I said this a few weeks ago, the Bible is an interesting book. If you think the Bible's boring, you need to get out of the baguettes and get into uh, the rest of the Bible because there's some really interesting things here. This, this could be a Netflix uh, documentary, maybe a crime documentary is how it would turn out uh, today. But it unfolds in chapter 29. The backstory of, of, this, of this is... Uh, Jacob has uh, deceived his father by dressing up as Esau, by putting animal hair on himself. Uh, his father's blind, and he goes in uh, to his father's room and asks him for, uh, for a blessing, the blessing that is reserved for the firstborn, which Jacob is not. And so he convinces his father, who's fooled by feeling, to, um, to bless him. And Jacob 
as soon as his brother finds out about it, his brother says, I'm going to kill you. And so his mom says, you need to go to Laban's house, your uncle, and you need to hide out there for a while. And so uh, when we pick up in Genesis 29, where we'll be today for the bulk of our message, uh, Jacob is looking for shelter. He's looking for safety. But more than that, Jacob remembers that his father has already said to him something about Laban. He says, you need to go to the house of Laban to find you a wife. And so he's looking for shelter, but also he's looking for love. And so the Bible says that he comes to a well, and there's a giant stone, a large stone over the well. Genesis chapter number 29. You can kind of uh, follow along if you have your Bible or maybe an app on your phone there to verify that I'm still in the book because, again, it's going to get pretty good. And he sees this giant stone, and he's talking to uh, the other people who are around this well. And while he's having this conversation, Rachel the one with whom he is about to fall deeply, madly in love with, is coming from the distance. And one of the men say, there is is Rachel. She's coming this way with her sheep. And so Jacob says, well, let's let's water these sheep. Let's let's help Rachel out. Uh, I'm kind of interested in what's going on here. And so... Uh, they, the men, they say, well, we can't do that. We have to wait until everybody's here because this is a very large stone over this well and uh, we're all going to have to do this together. And Jacob, when he sees Rachel, when he is smitten by this woman that he thinks is so beautiful, the Bible says, uh, let's look here at verse number 8, Genesis chapter 29. It says, we, they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth Then we'll water the sheep. Look at verse number 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his brother's mother, which we'll unpack in a moment, and the sheep of Laban, his brother's mother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So it's like Jacob, he sees this girl coming, and he suddenly has supernatural strength. He's like, I don't need anybody else to remove this stone. Rachel, I want you to see my servant's heart and also my massive guns as I take this giant stone all by myself and I roll it away. It's like the, you know, the kids in the youth group who carry all the chairs. It's like we've got to, we've got to show you how strong and how much of a servant I am. Of course, it's not just because he wants to be helpful. No, see, we don't learn this for sure until verse number 17 When the Bible gives us a clue as to why he's acting the way he was. When it says Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. The NKJV says it a little bit more uh, nicely. She was beautiful in form and appearance. You can look that up in the Hebrew. It means he thought she was fine. He had all of the things that she had all of the things he was looking for. Beautiful form. And face. And so they start talking, uh, Rachel and Jacob. See, I told you the Bible's interesting. I mean, we're not even in the best part of the story yet. And so they start having this conversation, and it turns out not only is Rachel pretty, but they are even related, which would have, in our day, you know, that would be like, well, mm, we started out so good. Uh, But in his day, he was like, even better, baby, let's go. 
reminds me of the story I heard about about uh, how in I'm from Kentucky, so I'll just make this about Eastern Kentucky. About the bad day. It's a bad day when your girlfriend breaks up with you and says she just wants to be cousins. Uh, and so Jacob says, I want to marry this girl. She has a beautiful face. She has a beautiful figure. And she is my first cousin. Just what I've been looking for. And so the Bible says that he goes to Laban, his uncle, and he says, I'd like to marry Rachel. And in those days, in the Bible, you had to, to pay a price to marry, uh, to marry into a family. And, and he said, I don't have any money, but here's what I'll do. I will work seven years for her. I'll serve you for seven years, and after seven years, you'll let me marry my beautiful first cousin, Rachel. And now this is an exorbitant price. To put it in perspective, the going rate for dowries in those days was 30 to 40 shekels. The average monthly wage was about one and a half shekels. So in offering 130 shekels, he's offering more than four times the usual amount. In other words, he is madly in love. He's obsessed. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse number 20 of Genesis chapter number 29, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. He's in love. It's like, you know, when you first start dating somebody and you can just be on the phone for hours and hours and hours and, and it's like nothing. You'll fall asleep on the phone. When you've been married a long time, you're trying to get on the phone and off the phone as quickly as possible. But when you are so madly, deeply, passionately in love as Jacob was, he said, I served for seven years, but it only seemed like just a few days. He said, I'll do anything for Rachel. I'll do anything for love. All he thought about for seven years was Rachel. He was looking forward to the day that, that they would be married and they'd have love fulfilled. He comes to Laban after those seven years. Stay with me for a few moments now. And he says in verse number 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. He said, Time's up. Time for a wedding. I've been working hard. It hasn't been too pad but I've been keeping track of the time and the Bible says they have this big wedding celebration his bride shows up wearing this traditional veil nothing to be too suspicious of that's a normal thing they have their meal he perhaps drinks a little bit too much and finally they are married they rush into their honeymoon tent as it were and they are married at last the moment he's been waiting seven years for to be with the one he loves and verse number 25 says, And it came to pass in the morning. Uh-oh. And behold, it was Leah. He had worked so hard. He had, he had been so faithful to his work. He had labored so diligently. He had waited so long. He thought that that day was going to bring fulfillment in his life. That it was going to be the love that he had been waiting for. And he woke up the next morning and it is not that beautiful face and figure that he fell in love with at the well. No, no. The Bible says it was Leah. The one that it said in verse 17 
13, when it described Rachel as having a beautiful form and figure, it says of Leah, her eyes were weak. Or another translation says it this way, there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. The Bible is interesting, see? Jacob, this man who was born second, who had never been enough, who was second place at everything, who every good thing that he had, he had to deceive and cheat to get. Now, finally, he was going to have something that he had worked hard for, and now it was Leah. It had let him down, too. The deceiver had been deceived, but see, the real problem in this story is not Leah. It is Jacob. You see, Jacob is so obsessed by what he thought would make him happy that he disregarded all of the warning signs that pointed to the reality that what he was getting was not what he thought it was going to be. As like his father before him, who ignored all the signs that said that he wasn't Esau and that he was being deceived and said relying on what he felt, Jacob is fooled by a feeling too turning off all the senses that had cried out the evening before, this is Leah. And hear me, if we are not careful, we will make decisions based on our feelings, what we think we have got to have. And it always leads us to the same place. We will wake up to something different than what we expected. I, I, I felt like this job was going to fulfill me. I thought that this relationship was going to be the one that was going to make me happy. I felt like if I had more money, I felt like if I were more noticed, hear me, whatever it is that you are longing for, it will never be enough. Why? Because the problem is not Leah. No, the problem is you're looking for answers in places that they cannot be found. You are looking for love in the wrong places, allowing your feelings to lead you into places where you only end up face to face with disappointment hear me our fulfillment is never going to be found in a feeling it's never going to be found in a job or in a relationship or in a property or in a position no love is only found in one relationship and it's in a relationship with him it's only found in knowing that you are seen not by others but by him it's only found in a position but it's not a job position or a family position it's in a position in him and as long as you are looking for love and happiness and joy and fulfillment in anything other than Christ you will always wake up in the morning and it will be Leah and her name means weary it will leave you weary and disappointed Hear me now, some of us, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we've woken up next to Leah. And I don't mean your spouse. <laughs> you woke up to something that didn't have a sparkle in its eye. Because our fulfillment isn't found in anything other than God. 
It's only found in Him. Love is only found in Him. Peace is only found in Him. Joy is only found in Him. So whatever it is that we chase outside of that, it may look good for a moment. It might feel good for a moment. The Bible says the pleasure of sin is for a season. That There are moments where those things look good and feel good and seem good, but you will wake up in the morning and you will find disappointment beside you because peace is only found in Him and joy is only found in Him. I'm preaching today about the disappointments you find looking for love in the wrong places. This is what the Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, the words, behold, it was Leah, are the embodiment of man's disappointment with life. And this moment is a snapshot of the disillusionment that man has experienced from Eden onward. All the blessings of this world turn out to be Leah's. No matter what you think is Rachel in the morning when you wake up, it's Leah. Every time you get in a relationship or you start a new job or you get a new marriage, you think this is it. I'm finally making life right. This is finally making sense. I finally found Rachel. But I can assure you she may look like Rachel now. But in the morning it will be Leah. That job is Leah. That career is Leah. That city is Leah. Anything that you put above what you know is true and right, it is Leah. But there's another side to this story, and I won't preach much longer. I know that there, is, there are other things to do today. But the Bible says that, you see, there's this other side of the story. The truth is, not only are we Jacob in this story, but unfortunately, we're also Leah. Because Jacob isn't the only one looking for love in the wrong place. See, Leah is human too. and My Lord, she has the Bible calling her ugly, basically. And she is weak in the eyes. She may not be able to understand the struggle that Jacob has faced in being born second and thinking that only if he had been born first, things would have been easier. No, she doesn't know that story because she was born first. But she knows that being forced hasn't made her feel all that Being born first hasn't made her feel all that much better. The only reason she's getting married first is because it's custom. Not because Jacob noticed her or wanted her. She had to put the veil on. She had to go through the motion. She had to uh, partake in the trickery with her father. But that didn't cause her to be loved. This is what it says in verse 31 of, of that same chapter. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. See, we are Leah. We have all been in this place where we have felt unloved, unsatisfied, unfulfilled by the things that we hoped and believed and dreamed. Well, maybe once I, I marry him, maybe maybe once this happens, and, and, and it, I'm not talking about relationships today, I'm talking about, about life and about these goals, these things that we believe that once we achieve them, then everything will make sense. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, the Bible says he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Notice this now. For she says, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Leah says, oh, here's a son. Now Jacob will love me. I may not be pretty, but I can have sons. 
And so she names this kid Reuben, a, a son. Doesn't this make me lovable? But does it work? The next verse says, She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. See, that first son didn't change her, her relationship with Jacob. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Did that work? She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. I'm third time's a charm. Now surely he's going to love me. I'm doing what, what Rachel cannot. I know he thinks she's prettier, but look at me. I'm producing. And, and so over and over again, she has this son, and she thinks, Now I'll be visible. Now I'll be heard. Now, I'll be, now he'll be attached to me. But each time it leaves her empty. The truth is, when we deal with disappointment in life, we almost always respond the same way. I didn't find it in that romance, but maybe the next one will do it. I didn't find it in this job, but maybe the next job will do it. I didn't find it in this city, but maybe the next city will do it. I, I, I didn't find it in this economic bracket or this stage of life, but maybe in the next one we'll do it. And we begin to develop destination disease where we think that at the next stage, then we'll be fulfilled. In the next stage, we'll find love. In the next stage, we'll be happy. And we're like Leah. We just keep having sons. And we keep thinking that that's going to solve the problem. Another attempt, another relationship, another job. And it just always ends up the same but the Bible says in verse 35 that she conceived again and bore a son and she says this now this is powerful now I will praise the Lord therefore she called his name Judah and she stopped bearing she stopped trying to get the attention of Jacob and she instead said, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm just going to worship him. I, she stopped trying to earn the love of Jacob and instead tried to work on her relationship with her father, with God. She stopped trying to have sons and instead received the love of God that had been given to her as a gift and then found her joy and praise in life. This is what I'm preaching to you today. We have got to stop trying to find it anywhere else and find it in Him. We've got to stop trying to please everyone else and instead we've got to please Him. We've got to stop trying to find it anywhere else and realize that when we are looking for love, it is found only in Him because He is love. You've got to stop trying to earn what God wants to give you freely. See, nobody else may see you, but God sees you. Nobody else may think about you, but God has you on His mind. Jacob may think you're ugly, but God looks at you and He sees something in you that Jacob doesn't see. He sees a Messiah that's going to be born through you. And so while you are stressing over the love that you cannot get from Jacob, God's saying, if you would just trust me, I have something beautiful that I want to give you and do through you. And I tell you that there are so many times in life that we are wrecked with anxiety and doubt and fear and insecurity because we're looking for love in places that we will never find it. 
And her lineage becomes beautiful, not because of some physical beauty that she had or that she passed on, but because God loved her. And she, though her name means weary, the Bible makes it clear that there is a place for the weary in, in Him. That He says, Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I tell you today, when you are tired of looking for fat satisfaction in the world, you can come to Him. When you are weary of trying to find peace and joy and fulfillment in your career, you can find it in Him. When you are tired of, of trying to get uh, agreement and understanding from everyone else, you can find it in Him. You see, the truth of it is this. Jacob and Leah, they're looking for the same thing. And not even in bad things. Good things, though become bad things when we try to let them take the place of God things. See, your job is not a bad thing, but when you're trying to find peace and joy and satisfaction out of your job, you're trying to make it a God thing, and it will never leave you the way that you are expecting. It will become a Leah. But when you make up in your mind, hey, I've got some good things in my life, but they are not the things that satisfy or fulfill me, then when those things disappear, you can still have peace. When you lose your job, you can still have peace. When you lose a relationship, you can still have peace. When you lose your health, you can still have joy. Why? Because those things are not the source of your joy they are not where you get your source or your love from they are just good things money was never supposed to be a source of peace a job was never supposed to be the source of joy relationships are never supposed to be the source of security good things are bad things when they take the place of God things which brings me back to my text as DJ comes to the music. Say, so what does any of this have to do with the wise men? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says that these men, call them wise men, they're on a search. But unlike Rachel and Leah, they are not looking for the wrong thing. They're looking for the right thing. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They are looking for love. They're wise, not just because of their background. They're wise because of their search. Because they're looking for the right thing. You see, in your search for love, it's not a wrong thing. It's the right thing. God put it in you. But they understand the source. The object of their affection in their search. It's not, it's not a feeling for them. It's, that's not what they're after. See, far too often we... We chase after feelings as though that feeling is the thing that we are looking for. But no, they're not looking for a feeling. They're looking for a king. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? They're looking for Jesus. They're traveling a long way. 
You see, the wisest thing you could ever do is look for love. Because God is love. The wisest thing you could ever do is go on a search to find and to know Him. To establish a relationship with Him. This is what it says in 1 John. We have known and believed the love of God that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. See, God has put this thing in us, this desire within us, this longing within us for love. And when we go searching for him, what a wise thing. But notice this now, the wise men are looking for the right thing. But they too are looking in the wrong place. They imagine that their answer is going to be in Jerusalem, in the capital. They suppose perhaps that the palace is the place to look for their king. They're looking for love, but they're looking in the wrong place. You see, their expectation of where he might be led them to the wrong place. And this is what I believe about many of us in our Christian experiences. We too allow our expectations and presuppositions to determine where we end up. That we too can find ourselves looking for His love in the wrong places. So how, how does that happen? You see, when we approach the Word of God with presuppositions about Him, or even about ourselves. It affects where we end up. You say, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for the love of God. But I'm bringing along with me my own ideas about what God thinks about me. You're going to end up in the wrong place. You say, I, I want a relationship with God. But this is what I think it's going to look like. You're going to end up in the wrong place. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know about all of this. I've got my ideas about what church should look like and what a relationship with God should look like and how God wants to speak to me and use me and what God wants me to do. You're going to end up in the wrong place. They, they said, surely the king is going to be in the palace. They were looking for love in the wrong place. When you want God on your terms in the ways that you expect, we end up in the wrong place. When we bring our ideas about who God is and how He operates into our searches, we can end up in the wrong place. But notice what happens. The Bible says they hear that Jesus isn't in a palace, but He's in lowly Bethlehem. And they said, okay, we're going to go wherever He is. They found Him. This is the key that I preach for 30 minutes just to share. They found Him when they were willing to humble themselves. Surrender their expectations and presuppositions and say, I'll go wherever I need to go. I'll do whatever He wants me to do. They approached their search with humility. 
can I tell you that I believe that the key to finding the love of God, to finding the peace of God, to finding the joy of God, it rests in that key. You've got to approach Him, His Word, His Spirit, and His calling with humility. Where you say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what I've known before. I just want you and your love. And so whatever you want me to do, however you want me to be, wherever I've got to go, I'm willing to go. Whatever your Word says, I'm willing to do it. Whatever you command of me, I'm willing to obey it. It's when you humble yourself and say, I believe that the only place for me to find joy is in Him. You see, as long as you think that there's love somewhere else, you'll go there first because to come to Him, you've got to humble yourself. But when you approach the Word of God with humility and surrender, it changes everything. Stand with me all over the house. I was reading... Craig Keener, he's a theologian. A book that I'm reading for this class that I'm taking, it, the textbook, it said this, it jumped out of the page, off the page to me. It says, with few and private exceptions, it was not the intellectual elite of Jesus' day, but the lowly who followed him. You see, if you want to find the love of God, You've got to approach Him surrendering everything and worship. We've got to come to the Word of God with humility, surrender, and worship. Because here's what I know. I know there are a lot of people who found Jesus in the Bible but walked away for one simple reason. They couldn't humble themselves. The rich man, he walked away sorrowfully. Why? Because he couldn't humble himself. He had the greatest love right in front of him. And he missed it. Why? Because his love of stuff, his love of money, it was something, anything that you love more than him, anything that you will put before him. And most of the time... a rich man to make it to heaven it isn't because of the stuff but it's because of the humility that it takes you see a camel to enter the eye of a needle it's not a needle as we think about it it's this small door where the camel would have to get down on his knees and crawl Jesus said you know there's not a lot of people who think they have everything that they need that will get down on their knees and crawl. But when you've tried everything else, that woman with the issue of blood, she said, I'll do whatever I've got to do to get to him. I'll get down on my hands and knees. I'll fight through the crowd. I've just got to touch him. And I tell you that when you get that in your spirit and you say, it doesn't matter what I've got to do, I've got to touch him. It doesn't matter what, what I've got to give up. I've got to have a relationship with him. It doesn't matter what the word is telling me to do. I'm willing to do it. Why? Why? Because I believe that he is what I'm really looking for. Humble yourself every head bowed and every eye closed on this
week of love, I ask you, have you found, have you found that love? Have you found that peace that passes all understanding? Have you found that joy that one song says is unspeakable and full of glory? Perhaps you would be honest enough and say, you've been looking in the wrong place. I tell you, we are all Jacob. We are all Leah. We have all looked in the wrong places. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the rest. He is joy. He is peace. He is love. here in this place right now. God, I know that in every single heart you have created this longing, this awareness, this desire for love. Because you have created us in your image. And you are love. God, you see every errant step that we have taken in search for that thing that would satisfy. You see every mistake and every shortcoming and every failure. But God, I believe that just as you saw Leah, you see us. And you see something in us, something that you desire to do for us, and something that you desire to do through us that is greater than we can even...